0: We're in John chapter 2. You've already heard it read, so I'm just going to get right to it. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited to the wedding his disciples. We've gone through about a week. Day one, John the Baptist was brought Jewish, um, a group regarding, and and John the Baptist responds who he was. Day two, John identified himself and then also said Jesus as the Lamb of God. Day three, Andrew and John turned away from following John the Baptist and followed Jesus. This would have been a Saturday. That's why they didn't do anything else the rest of the day. Day four, Sunday, Andrew went and called his brother Peter to meet Jesus. Day five, Monday, Jesus calls Nathanael. Day six, Tuesday, the day is spent traveling to Cana. And then day seven, Wednesday, is where we pick up this morning. Jesus and his disciples arrive in Cana. And the Bible lines up with historical accuracy here. Because Wednesday is the day where weddings were performed. And this is what the Bible tells us. They arrived here. And we see through some means that Jesus was invited to this wedding. Maybe it was his mother. The Bible says Mary was there. So maybe Mary knew some people in the wedding. It could have been Nathaniel's friends because he was from Cana. Or it could have been Jesus was friends with these individuals. I think a lot of times we think Jesus didn't know people. But what we need to see here is that Jesus was out in the community. Jesus was out amongst people. And I want us to see this was a wedding. And probably most of the people there were probably drinking, church right? What they did at weddings. A lot of times what happens at weddings today. And probably some of the people there were drinking way too much. And Jesus was amongst them. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus went and got drunk or in any way encouraged sin. We know he did not do that. He's our sinless Savior. But I just want to share with you, because I know for me growing up in the church, a lot of times I pictured Jesus kind of like an outsider, Like he was at this wedding, but he was on the sidelines and he had his disciples behind him and he was kind of holding them back. And the wedding's going on and the people are there having fun and joking around and celebrating. And and Jesus is there on the outskirts kind of holding his disciples back is the picture that I had. He wasn't really involved or engaged, but that's not an accurate view of Christ at all. I love what one commentator says in John 2 says this, have you ever thought how wonderful it is that Jesus was at home in such company? I'm afraid that if some Christians I know were the pattern, there would have been very little to expect of true joy and happiness or good times in the Christian life. Many Christians go around with grim looks and long faces. If they ever find themselves in the company of someone who's having a good time, they immediately suspect the cause of the fun is either illegal, immoral, or fattening. Jesus was not like that. He did not condemn those who were enjoying themselves, and he was not jealous of them. As a result, he was welcome at their gatherings, and those who had invited him listened to his teachings. I think it's because Jesus didn't have high expectations of what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man. What what is in man, church? Sin. That's all we know. Sin. That's all my child who's coming up on a year and a half, that's all he knows how to do is sin. That's your child, and that was you as well, church. I mean, that's all we know how to do. Apart from God, there is nothing good in us, Scripture says. So Jesus came, and he had, he had the right expectation. This group of people, they don't know me as Lord and Savior. The only thing that they, I can expect of them is sin. So he didn't separate himself, and he didn't have this standard where where it's always like, well, they just need to step up a little bit. And that's a lot of times what people think. They think, and listen, if you think this, if you think you're a Christian, just because you started living a better life, then you don't, you don't understand the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come, and he's not saying, listen, you just need to live a little bit better. He didn't go to this wedding, and he'd go out through the New Testament and say, listen, everybody, you just need to start living a little bit better. Step up a little bit. Listen, Jesus Christ stepped down to our level in this sinful world because we couldn't step up. That's the gospel. That he stepped down because we couldn't step up. And that's what he has done for us. He's offered us forgiveness and joy and all the blessings of the Lord. And he wasn't sitting there expecting us to do something that we could never do. And so when you're out amongst neighbors or friends or coworkers, listen, don't focus on their action or what they do or don't do. If they don't know Christ, you should expect them to always be doing the wrong things. Or even if it looks like they're doing the right things, they probably have the wrong motives, right? It doesn't please the Lord just in their actions. We see in John 1.14, the Word, that is Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He stepped down into a sinful world because he knew we could never reach him. And there seems to be two very common approaches that whenever we're at this wedding or things like this, that That happens, And it's on opposite sides of the pendulum swing. Either one, we swing where we completely separate ourselves. We completely separate ourselves from those who look like they may be sinful or things going on, or maybe they are sinful. And we just completely separate ourselves. We're like, listen, I'm a believer now. I can't be a part of that at all. Well, we don't see Jesus did that because we're trying to reach these people with the gospel. There's an exception to this thought. If you're a new believer or a young believer, God is not calling you to go in the midst of those places. You do need to separate for a time. You do need to be with others as you're growing and establishing your own biblical convictions. For example, a lot of graduates are about to head off to college. If you're placed in certain situations where you conform and leave the convictions that you had, then you've lost the battle in reaching those friends for Christ. God is not calling you to go do the things they're doing so you can reach them. That's the other side of the pendulum where it swings. And a lot of churches and Christians say this of, well, we just need to go where they are and do the things they're doing so we can reach them. Jesus was amongst those people, but he wasn't encouraging their sin. And they justify, well, since Jesus was hanging out with drunkards, liars, and prostitutes, that Christians should go where they go too. Well, we don't necessarily are called to do that. I don't think, and this was a huge debate in college, I don't think I have to drink to reach those who have a drinking problem. I don't have to have a tattoo, and neither do you, to reach those who have tattoos, Okay? We don't have to be in sexual sin to be able to understand what the person in sexual sin is going through. Jesus didn't have any of these things, and he reached all these types of people, all right? So we need to break the misconceptions of, I need to look a certain way, act a certain way. The gospel trumps all of that, and the word of God in the midst of those circumstances. Another thing, if you've struggled in the past with an addiction, God is not leading you to the place where the addictions are present for you to face I know a lot of times we get well I'm just going to be a strong Christian and go do this for the Lord and I've struggled with drinking so I'm going to go to the bars because I have a lot of friends there the Lord's brought me out of this and then you go to these places and what happens you fall back into it that was not the Lord that was your flesh All right. maybe you had good motives to start with that I'm going to share the gospel but listen you still have your sinful heart motives too and they're very strong. And so God does not call us to go to the places where there's strong temptation. It actually says the opposite. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, and it'll be on the screens. Run from temptations that capture young people. Always do the right thing. Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Worship with people whose hearts are pure. What does that worship mean? Could it be worshiping with a group of friends hanging around, coarse joking? That's worship. Worship is not just what we did. Worship can be some other place doing other things. Worship with those whose hearts are pure, meaning believers coming together. So watch what we do. Let's pick back up in John chapter 2. We come to verse 3, and this is the problem. Out of all the problems that could have been, how interesting the problem is that this is the problem in verse 3. When the wine ran out. Ever had that problem, church? When the wine ran out. Verse 3 says, The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Some of you, probably very few of you, might be thinking of what the late Captain Jack Sparrow said. Why is all the rum gone? To clarify, I just want to clarify, this is not the same type of drinking. This is not, why is all the rum gone, or why is the wine gone? These are two very different things. In the Bible, wine was associated with God's blessing, joy from the Lord. And it was never associated with getting drunk and sinful activities. So when they have this problem, of the wine ran out, it's not like in our day of to have a party and to have fun, there has to be alcohol present. And when the alcohol runs out at these parties, all of a sudden the fun runs out and the party stops. That's not the way it was in biblical times. The wine represented God's blessing on this. And this was a marriage, something you want God's blessing on. So if you ran out of wine, it would have looked disgraceful and shameful. But Mary comes to Jesus... And says, they ran out of wine. And it may seem harsh how Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? But in their culture, we need to understand woman was a title of reverence and respect. He used the same title even when he was hanging on the cross for our sins. He said, woman, that's when he entrusted her into John's care. So it was one of reverence and respect and love for her. But he says, what does this have to do with me? I mean, if you're at a restaurant and somebody comes to you and they, and they say this, we ran out of steak. I mean, what are you going to think? You're going to be like, all right, that's okay. I ordered seafood. You know, like you're not going to know. Well, Jesus isn't paying for this. He's not the best man. But she comes to him. Have you ever thought why? I like to think through some of these things like, why did she even do this? A lot of times we just read it and get to the miracle. And we try to figure out the understanding of that. But why did Mary come to Jesus? Why did she say they ran out of wine? He didn't even ask, why are you asked me that question? He just said, hey, it's not my time to reveal myself yet. I want you to look back. Remember John chapter 1. I mean, Luke chapter 1. Verse 31. Remember, Mary knew that Jesus was from the Lord. Verse 31, it says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. And in Luke chapter 2, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So even from conception, she was thinking through these things of what her son, who he really was. She knew he was from the Lord. But she didn't know when. She didn't know how this was going to happen. So we can assume really that Mary had no idea when Jesus' public ministry was going to start. Maybe him showing up at this wedding, he was about the age of a rabbi would have been when he started his ministry, and he now has some followers. Maybe she saw that and said he's about to start his ministry. So she presented this question to him. It could have been, think about this, that throughout his whole life, she posed questions like this to him. She she never knew exactly when he was going to step in and fulfill his God-given role. So she could have been questioning for years, putting things like this to him, probably always with the answer of do whatever he tells you to do. At this time, it's believed Joseph, Mary's husband, had passed away. He's not in the story. He's not at the wedding. We don't hear about him. They, they believe he passed away. Can you imagine being the mom? You know your son is from the Lord. He's going to do incredible things for the Lord. And your husband is lying there dead. What could she have been thinking? She could have been thinking easily. I wonder if he could do anything about this. Maybe, maybe not. But could you imagine all throughout his life thinking, He could do something. Can you imagine Jesus? I mean, surely throughout his whole time, it it could have been helpful to do some miracles in the course of 30 years. But Scripture says this was his first. So he was obedient to God up until this point. He never once did a miracle. A lot of times in other Scriptures that are unbiblical texts, they talk about Jesus doing miracles as a child. Listen, that's nowhere in the Bible. His first miracle... Is here at this wedding. And I want us to, to get to one of the main points that we see here. Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. Well, that means it wasn't time for him to be crucified. But he was beginning his ministry. Jesus was patient, waiting on the Lord. What does that mean for us? Well, we need to be patient in waiting on the Lord too. Maybe there's a circumstance that you're going through where you really feel like the Lord is dragging His feet. One of the main points here is remember Jesus is always at work. Remember that Jesus is always at work. Jesus said, My hour's not yet come, but look what He does next. He goes and does some things behind the scenes. In verse 6, He says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servant, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, did not know where it had come from, though the servants knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine." But you have kept the good wine until now. Well, what is the meaning of these ordinary miracles, right? Ordinary miracles. Is it just water into wine? Jesus' power over, over nature? Over the elements? Well, we need to remember that wine represented God's blessing and joy. And he filled up six jars. Did you notice how much wine he produced? Six jars holding 20 to 30 gallons apiece. That's almost 200 gallons of wine. That's enough for a 1,000 bottles of wine. No wedding needs 1,000 bottles of wine. Okay? It wasn't that big of a wedding. Scholars say no wedding in that time would have needed 1,000 bottles of wine. But we see here it wasn't just wine he produced. They had a need. He met the need. But it wasn't just met. It was actually surpassed, right? Because the quality of the wine was the best wine. I mean, there's never been a year better than this year, okay? Because the Lord of the universe created it, and he knew exactly how it should taste. He made the sun, and he made the soil, and all the things that go into it, and he made an incredible tasting wine. So the quality was the best, And the quantity was way more. And remember, this represents spiritual blessing, joy in our life in God's favor. And Jesus was showing that's what he had come to do in the life of believers. Leads to another point. Everything in this world will be exhausted, but the joys of Christ are inexhaustible. Listen, we can work really hard and we can seek things that we think are going to make us happy. And a lot of times we get to that point And then we realize, that's not all I thought it was supposed to be. You know, we make money, we buy that house, we're in high school, and we can't wait to get to college for graduates, right? We get to college, and, I mean, it's nice, but there's that next step. Maybe it's getting married. I mean, there's always these next things. Well, life is that way. It's exhausting. And many times these things run out, but Jesus Christ is saying that what he brings us is inexhaustible his joy is inexhaustible James 1:17 Every good and perfect gift is from where from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows Jesus himself said Matthew 7:11 If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want you to think about that, church. We know how to give good gifts, but God is saying, listen, the only reason you know what good is is because I've shown you. It's because you know what good is because I've shown you what is good. I'm the one who created good. And the Lord wants to come into our life and do some things. When you follow after him, listen, that doesn't mean that you're going to get all the things in life you wanted. But God does give you what you need. And along with that, He does give joy. And that may be in the midst of trials, persecutions, and circumstances that you would rather wish you weren't in. But in the midst of those times, the Lord comes alongside of you, gives you exactly what you need. How encouraging that is. This miracle teaches us a couple of things. I just want to list some of them out. The first one is the character of God. We need to understand the character of God. When you're going through something in your life, if you don't understand the character of God, you're wondering what is going on. Why? Why is this happening? Well, when you understand the character of God, it is like a blanket that comes around you. You know the character of God. You know. You know you can trust Him. You know He is loving. You know He will always do what is right. Listen, when you hear something on the news... Or you hear somebody treated wrongly or something about a child that just disturbs you. You go and you say, listen, God is just. God is just. And their day will come. I mean, all of these things, you need to know the character of God and it surrounds you. Secondly, God provides over and above our needs. God provides over and above our needs. Many times, quantity and quality over and above our needs. Third, Jesus is always working behind the scenes. You're in a situation right now, a family member, a friend, the situation we shared earlier, Jesus is working behind the scenes. Always. He's never taking a break. He's always working on God's behalf and for our good. Four, Jesus came to bring an abundance of life, blessing, and joy. Jesus came to bring an abundance of life, blessing, and joy. I ask you, church, do you have that? Would you say, I can trust in the Lord. I know these things because I have him living inside of me through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. John 20, verse 31. Remember when we were beginning this series? But these things are written so that you may believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Was this purpose accomplished in this miracle when Jesus performed it? Well, look with me in verse 11. Verse 11 of John 2 says this, This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So it accomplished its purpose then just like it's accomplishing its purpose this morning. Listen, I know because I know some of the people in the audience that there are unbelievers here this morning. And the Word of God always accomplishes its purpose. So I pray this morning for those who are unbelievers, the Lord may be drawing you and calling to you and saying, Listen, and if you're a believer this morning, when you hear that, when when you hear me say there's unbelievers, be praying for them. That the Lord draws them. That they hear these words of John and they say, that's the God I want to believe in. So if you're an unbeliever this morning, I encourage you, call out on the name of the Lord. In the quietness of your heart, call out to him and say, Lord, I need you. If you're a believer this morning, trust in his promises. Know his character. He comes and he does over and above what we ask him to do because he is good. And we are his children. He is our father. Listen, if we know how to give good things to our children, how much more so our heavenly father does things for us. What a comfort. Listen, listen to Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. I pray that Jesus Christ is your portion this morning. I pray He's your joy. I pray He's your rock in the midst of good times or when bad circumstances come, that we cling to Him because He is never changing. Our circumstances change. Our feelings change. Our relationships change. But Jesus Christ does not change. 1 John 3, 5. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him no sin is found. The fullness of God found in Jesus Christ, and he came offering himself to us, both then and today. I want us to spend a few moments just with you and the Lord of personal time You spend time with the Lord. Listen, if you're an unbeliever, you're not even sure about God. You're not even sure if you believe in this. Maybe your parents just made you come. Maybe you came because your spouse made you come. You just have a lot of questions. Listen, be honest with the Lord and say, hey, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Maybe you know the Lord is reaching out to you. Submit to Him. Spend time with Him in prayer and say, listen, I want to grow. I want to grow. If you're a believer... Pray for those in your life. Pray that God may stretch you, that he may grow you. So let's spend a few moments in time with him. You know what you need to do. I want to end by reading a psalm to us. I encourage you to listen to these words. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after other gods, their sorrows will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray for those who are hurting and struggling this morning. God, I pray for those who know they need you. God, may you give them boldness. Give them boldness to do something about that. God, I pray for those of us who we know we're followers of you. We know we're believers. God, I praise you for that. That we can even know those things. That we can... Be a son or daughter of you. What an incredible blessing that is. God, I I pray that you may use us. Place us in situations where we have to grow. Place us in situations where you want us to be used. God, I pray for these people that we spoke of earlier who are in our church, who are sharing the gospel with others. God, I pray for these conversations that I mentioned that may happen afterwards. God, for those of us who things are going great in our life, God, I I pray that you may put somebody in our life whose things are not going great so that we can help them. We can point them back to you, back to your word, that we can give them hope. We can give them joy because those are things that you promised to us as believers, that our hope is found in you, not circumstances. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that when you come into our life, that you bring an overabundance of all blessings. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, that he stepped down. We know we are incapable of pleasing you apart from him. God, we thank you for what you've done in us and through us. We pray as we go this week that we may glorify you in everything we think, and everything we do and everything we say, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.